Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now enjoy today's message. Now's the time to take out your living faith notes. As you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or listening or watching online at living-faith.church or are listening on AM 1390 KBEC. So we wrap up chapter one of our sermon series, sermon study in 1 Peter this morning, Live New. Chapter one, verses 13 through 25 Listen now to the word of God. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. I'll openly admit that I'm kind of a Bible nerd, and you're going to hear some of my nerdiness right now. We are at the end of chapter one of our study of 1 Peter, and I'm really excited, not merely to finish the chapter, one of five, but because of a little word. And that word is therefore. Now, I know it's kind of corny, but whenever you see therefore in the Bible, just ask yourself, what's it there for? It's therefore for a reason. And I've noticed in my study of scripture that sometimes it's the small words Words that we blow past that many times have great deep meaning. Now, therefore, again, is an adverb, and it tells us, based on everything that came in the past, these biblical truths that we've already covered, here's how to go forward. Now, let me illustrate it this way. My my son's girlfriend is from Japan, 
And even though she's going to be 20, October 5th of this year, she does not have her driver's license yet. A lot of people in Japan, they rely on public transportation. They don't get a driver's license. So she has her permit. And the last time we were in Phoenix, I, I took her driving and giving her pointers. And, and the lesson that I taught her that day was, as you drive forward, you need to know where you're going. But you also always need to check your mirrors, your rear view mirror, your side mirrors. Be aware of everything around you, including what's, what's behind you. Therefore is one of those words. It tells us, be aware of everything, look forward to what's ahead, and be sure you remember what we covered in the past. So Peter, through the Spirit, says, therefore, and since we've only covered 12 verses, it's pretty easy for us to go back and look in the rearview mirror, if you will. So therefore, what's it there for? Go back to verses, verse 1 and 2. Since you have been elected... Remember, handpicked by God, you were God's first choice from all eternity, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have a new birth and a living hope at your baptism, verse 3. Therefore, since as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have an inheritance safely secured for us already in heaven, verse 4. Therefore, since we have what the prophets predicted, what the preachers proclaim, and what angels ponder, that was our focus last week, salvation, verses 10, 11, and 12. Here is how to go forward in life. Now, I've entitled this message, In the Meantime. C.S. Lewis had a similar thought. His observation was that as Christians, we in a very real way are living between two worlds. The world we came from, a sinful, fallen world that we were only living for, but we've been born again, but we're not in heaven yet. That's the world to come. And, and as Christians, we're, we're living between two worlds. I'm calling it, again, in the meantime, before we get to heaven. And, and God, through the Holy Spirit, definitely gives us directions this morning. Five things that we learn from these verses, verses 13 through 25, in the meantime. Verse 13, therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. First point is this. Therefore, set your hope on future grace. That's precisely what the verse says. Future grace. Now, God has graced us already. In fact, Paul said, what God has already done, above and beyond, we didn't deserve it, coming into a fallen world, living a perfect life, dying the sinner's death, taking your sins upon himself at the cross, being buried with your sins, coming back to life, living for you, that grace is sufficient for any one of us to get through any situation we have right now. God's grace is sufficient for us. But God isn't done gracing us. He desires to give us more things that we don't deserve. And, and Peter talks about this grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. If God so chooses to further grace us, that's his prerogative, and he does. And Peter says that right now, in the meantime, that we are to set our hope on that future grace. 
keep in mind that the Christian hope is not an iffy hope. It's not a by chance hope, but it's a living hope. It's a, it's a sure hope. And you know that when Christ returns, God has even better things in store for you and me. Our best days literally are ahead of us. Remember the illustration I used a few weeks ago, and some of you didn't hear it, just a, a quick review of it. Hope and the importance of hope. And, and, and I, I used a study done in the 1950s by a Harvard scientist, Kurt Richter. And, and he pointed out that it appears that even animals have this concept of hope. So he, he put some mice in a bucket, the water flowing, and they would survive for like 12 minutes, 13 minutes, and the mice would start to drown. And he consistently did that every time that was the case. But then Richter and his assistant, they, they took the mice after 12 minutes, and instead of letting them drown, they took them out of the water, gave them special care, dried them off, warmed them up, graced them, if you will, put them back in the bucket, and guess what? They could swim not just for two or three hours, but for two to three days without any break. And, and his theory was that with a little bit of hope, people keep on going. Now, we don't have an iffy hope. We don't have a hope that a, that a mouse has in a bucket. We have something far greater, a living hope in Jesus Christ based on everything he's done for us. And, and we are to realize that there's, there's future grace ahead of us. And Peter, through the Spirit, says, set your hope on future grace. Now, there's two caveats here. With minds that are alert and with minds that are sober. Minds that are alert, actively. A literal translation would be to roll up the sleeves of your mind, get to work, engage yourself in the Lord, in his word, in your faith. Again, God is sanctifying you, setting you apart for his service right now. And also with sober minds. It tells us that if our minds are not alert, our minds are not sober, we're not focused on the grace that will be ours when Christ returns and we become distracted. Sober-minded reminds me of episodes of Cops. Perhaps you watched that show as well. Our, our kids were little kids when Cops came on. You know, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? And, and several times there would be episodes where a cop pulls over a person that's pretty clear that he's a drunk driver. And it's always the same, right? There's evidence of drunk driving, swerving, pulls the person over, Sir, have you been drinking? And quite often they'd say yes, and then the cop would say, how many have you had to drink? And almost always the answer was two beers, right? Not one or three or four, but, but two beers. And, and the cop would do a sobriety test. Uh, the person would fail the test. The cop would then have them blow the, uh, the, the air to see how much alcohol is there. And if that person had an alcohol, alcohol content of 0.08% or greater, then they were under the influence. And a person might argue, 0.08, that's not very much. I have other things in my blood that are far greater than 0.08%. However, that is enough. You are no longer sober. You are driving under the influence. You're going to spend some time in jail. Now, Peter says that we're, we are not driving under the influence, but he says we might be thinking under the influence of some things that will distract us. So that's my question to you. What are you thinking under the influence of? Is it pain? 
Maybe you have a chronic pain. This was me a few years ago, and that's all I could think about was my pain. And that's distracted me from, again, the grace that, that God promised me is, is ahead of me. Maybe it's lust. Maybe you have an idea in your mind, a sexual connotation for practically everything. And again, you are being distracted. You are under the influence of lust. Maybe it's guilt. You have unresolved things in your heart. You have not come clean with God with and you're under the influence of that. Maybe it's anger. You let things go, you let the, the sun set in your anger, and now you're just in a rage, you're boiling inside, you haven't dealt with it. Are you under the influence of anger? Maybe it's hurt. Maybe somebody has hurt you in the past. Again, it was unresolved, and you have bitterness towards that person who did this. Or maybe, worse yet, you want to take revenge on them. Maybe you're under the influence of heartache. Again, something happened, a loved one died, or whatever it might be, the chance missed, and your heart aches. Maybe you're under the influence of greed, where the reason you get out of bed is, is money is the motivator, and that's the sole reason. Maybe you're under the influence of fear. You're afraid of the future. You read the newspaper or watch the news, and you're frightened to death as to the future of our country. Maybe you're under the influence of mistakes, right? You, you made a moral mistake. You made a mistake at work, and you just can't get past it. Now, if a person is driving, and again, their blood alcohol is 0.08%, are they sober? The state says they are not. They are under the influence. What if I could follow you around like a cop during the day, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not a spiritual cop, but just say that, that I could follow you around. I could watch all of your actions. I could hear all of your conversations. Would I basically come to the conclusion you're under the influence and you're thinking of something that's distracting you from Christ? Again, if you're under the influence, you are not sober. So as we set our hope on the grace that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus, God says be sober-minded. Repent of those things that are distracting you. Get back to Christ. Uh, secondly, so in the meantime, let your hope be in, in future grace. Number two, do not conform your, to your past evil desires. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Evil desires. Satan quite often takes a natural desire that we've been born with and, and he takes it out of natural to evil and we, we satisfy desires in a, in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. And, and likewise, that we can go back to that. Our sinful nature is prone to it. Go back to the car illustration. It's like you're driving forward and you start swerving to the edge and there, there's the rumble strips, right? And you're hitting those. You're, you're, you're going too far over. You're not staying in your lane. Or you're on a country road. And there's mud. And, and there's ruts. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been on an old dirt road where there's ruts because of, of spring thaw, once you get in that rut, it's almost impossible to get out. Right? And, and we do that. With that. We're prone as we live our lives to get stuck back in the ruts that are defined as our evil desires. 
Peter says, hey, you're no longer living in ignorance. You may have been able to excuse it before when you did not know Christ, but we're no longer living in ignorance. By the way, the Bible would not tell us do not conform or stop conforming to evil desires if we weren't susceptible to it, correct? And secondly, God would not say stop conforming to evil desires if he didn't give us the strength to stop it. You have the power to say no to evil desires. That power doesn't come from yourself. It comes from Christ who is in you. We're told in Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace teaches us. It means that it has to be learned, and it means that we are teachable in the Holy Spirit. To say no, say no to ungodliness, say yes to righteousness. By the way, in your sanctification, you made a good choice this morning, you're here. Right? That's empowered by the Holy Spirit saying, I'm here to worship God this morning at living faith. Good choice. And, and likewise, in, in, our, in our daily living, God wants us to make choices that build us up in our faith. Another good choice every day is to get into God's Word. Bible app on your phone. Even if it's just a verse of the day. Or read a given chapter in Scripture. Again, empowered by God, that is a very good choice. All right, so in the meantime, we are to set our hope on future grace. Do not conform to your past evil desires. Thirdly, verses 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The word holy means set apart for God's use. So that's our third uh, directive. In the meantime, be set apart for God's use. In the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, there were tools, there were articles, there were plates, even, even uh, dinner plates, things like that, that were special. They were set apart for God's use in the temple. You are set apart for God's use. You have been declared righteous in God's sight through Jesus Christ. God has made you holy in him. And, and, and Jesus said the same thing in his ministry, be holy because God is holy. And, and God has called us to be set apart for him. By the way, what does Peter say? Does he say, so be holy in some of what you do? Does he say that? Does he say be holy in most of what you do? Oh, it doesn't say that? What does the Spirit say through Peter? Be holy in all that you do. You know, the little things in life matter. God's interested in you as a person. He's interested in, in everything you do. And, and through Christ, be set apart. doesn't mean you're better than other people or you look down upon them, even in your mistakes. If you are set apart for God, when you realize that you've made a mistake or even sinned against somebody, fess up to it. Being set apart is saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. By the way, children learn from that. When they see children see adults say, I'm sorry, admit their mistakes, they learn from that. It's what, what grace and forgiveness are all about. 
C.S. Lewis said this, how little people know who think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Even if 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted before year's end? Simply empowered by God, living our faith, being set apart as God's instruments in this broken world. Verse 17, we see a fourth directive. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So we are to live out our, our, your life here as foreigners. Peter's talked about it before, sometimes tra tra translated pilgrim. A pilgrim, a foreigner, we are temporary residents. We're simply passing through. We are living between two worlds right now. And likewise, in the meantime, we are to live out our life here as foreigners. Peter points out our Heavenly Father will judge your work impartially. A parallel passage here is this, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Live out your life here as foreigners. Don't be so much concerned about what other people think and say. Live for the Lord. He's the impartial judge. He's your heavenly father. In a sense, live to an audience of one. Care about what God thinks and says at all times. Now, you, you might be thinking right now, Pastor Scott, be holy. Um, don't follow these things that, that are part of evil desires. I, I have failed in these things. Well, let, let me be honest with you. I failed, right? And I'd be surprised if there's anyone here who has not failed. We've all sinned. Now, a great thing about Peter and, and, and reading Peter's epistle, we know from other parts of Scripture who also failed. Peter did, right? We're learning from his mistakes, and we, we know that even though we have failed miserably in um, our, our lives, we focus on ourselves, we know that there is forgiveness and there is a second chance, and there is an empowering through Jesus Christ. Peter puts it this way, verses 18 through 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him... You believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Jesus is always the hero. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He's the perfect Lamb of God, who perfectly was set apart for God's use every day, every minute, every second. Yes, we fail. Yes, Peter failed. There was forgiveness for Peter. There is forgiveness for you and me. Again, God says these things, not that, that our holiness gets us to heaven. No, it's Jesus. At the same time, he's interested in the meantime. He's interested in growing us uh, in our faith and that empowered by him, uh, again, that, that we can be set apart for his uh, good use. One final thing, verse 22. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, 
so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So in the meantime, we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Peter uses two different words for love here. Phileo is brotherly love. And basically says, you have a brotherly love for each other, great. Now let's take it a step further. Let's love each other deeply from the heart. That's agape love. Agape love is, is action. Agape love is sacrificial. Agape love is unconditional. It's the love that God has for you. While we still consider God the enemy, Jesus died for us. That's incredible. That's the love. That's the deep love from the heart that, that Peter is, is calling for us to have. Deeply from the heart, earnestly, fervently, intensely. We are to love from the heart each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. We also are to even love our enemies from the heart. I want you to think about that. Think about a person in your life that's unlovable, they're difficult, empowered by God, focus on them, love them deeply from the heart. Likewise, each other. What's our purpose in the meantime? Jesus says, look around you. Look at the people in the world, your relatives, your friends, your children, your grandchildren, the, your neighbors, even those who are difficult. Love them deeply from the heart. We're going to finish it out, verses 23 through 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Moses said, we live 70 years, maybe 80 if we have the strength, and that's it. And that kind of holds true today, right? In the meantime... It's really not that long of time. Our glory is like, the, like the, the flowers of the field. About a month ago, Heidi and I went to Annis. We did the, the thing where we, we laid down in the blue bonnets, had our, had our picture taken, selfies, right? We noticed the other day, are they still bright blue bonnets? No. They've dried up. Their glory is over. My friends, if you live your life seeking your own glory, it's not going to last like the flowers of the field. But you know what? God has changed you through the living and enduring word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many things, again, in the meantime, purpose, part of them as well, that we love as God has loved us, loving each other deeply from the heart. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message. At Living Faith Lutheran, we are absolutely convinced that Jesus died for all that we might live forever with him. This is the gospel message, and our goals are to reach people who have never heard the message of the gospel, to share it clearly with them, and to grow in our faith as we continue to study God's word and commune with him, and motivated by the gospel message to continue to serve God and each other. We'd love to share more with you. We'd love you to be part of our congregation and our mission. Please come visit us. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one, Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. You can also email us at contactus at living-faith.church. We look forward to hearing from you. Have a great day.